0: You know, many, many years ago, the little country Presbyterian church where I grew up had a, a guest pastor filling the pulpit for us upon the retirement of our dearly beloved pastor. Dearly beloved pastor. Dearly beloved pastor. <laughs> Just thought I would plant that little seed. The guest preacher was himself at that time retired, and in one sermon, I remember he talked about being raised in the church. But as a young man, he became somewhat of what we used to call a rounder. A rounder is just simply someone who's a little too familiar with the bars. And he said that when he was living the way he should not have been living on Saturday nights, on Sunday morning, he would look out his window and see Ray Bailey, my grandfather, walking up the road to church to light the stove in the old sanctuary. He said the snow could be up to the horse's belly with little chance that anyone would actually attend, but still Ray Bailey, like clockwork, would be on the way to the church to make sure the sanctuary was warm. Now, that part of the story, I believe, was a little bit of an embellishment. Because let me just say, I did not get my height from my grandfather. At five, six, he was barely up to the horse's belly. But in any case, this preacher said that, that looking out the window at my grandfather's faithfulness and steadfastness convicted him of his faithlessness, and it was that very thing that the Lord used to bring him back to himself. Now, the point of that story. Is not in any way to promote a, a works righteousness as if somehow good deeds made my grandfather right before the Lord. No, my grandfather did as he did. He served as he served. He, he faithfully taught God's word and faithfully served as an elder as he did simply as evidence of an outworking of a steadfast unshakable faith. That he had in Christ, and so I remembered that story this week, and I, I share it with you because it seems to me that many believers are, in a sense, looking out the window, observers of, but not active participants in steadfastness and faithfulness. They see it, and other believers. They admire it and other believers, but they don't seek steadfastness and faithfulness in their own lives. And I believe the church has a large responsibility for that. For the past 40 or 50 years, we've made church a bit of a spectator sport jumbo screens, fog machines. Ambient lighting, celebrity preacher, sighting, coffee drinking, and stadium seating. Sit back and enjoy the show. The church has fostered consumerism, producing a polished product that each church hopes is just a little more polished of a product than the next Churches. The church provides, people consume. And so it should be no surprise that so many Christians in these days believe it's okay to stand and to look out the window and to watch, to spectate. Listen, you know this Christianity is not about being served, it's about serving others. We're not called to watch out a window as other people are faithful for us. No, you and I must be actively steadfast and faithful to our God who is steadfast and faithful to us. That's what I want to talk about as we return to Colossians and actually conclude this He Is series. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. There were some Bibles on your way in. I hope you got one if you needed one. If not, if you have your own Bible, if you'll turn to Colossians chapter 1. When you found your place, let's stand together so we might hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would bless, as you promise, the reading and the hearing of your word. Blessed to our hearts, Father, we pray as your spirit joins your word and produces change and transformation within us. We pray a transformation that makes us more steadfast and more faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Look with me again, if you will, at verse 23, and this call that goes out to us, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Stable, steadfast, not shifting. Now I must confess, I was a little less than subtle in my selections for the bulletin for this morning's worship. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is thy faithfulness, ever faithful, ever sure. Christ our only confidence, Christ our sure and steady anchor. Steadfast, faithful, and sure. And I made those selections because who you and I are called to be, we must be, who we must be, is based on who he is. Christ is already. From eternity past, he always has been. And from eternity future, he always will be faithful, steadfast, and not shifting. He does not require anything of you or of me that he has not already been to us and for us. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He is ever faithful, ever sure. That's who he is. And now verse 23 tells us that that's who you and I must be. This verse doesn't allow us, even if we want to, to stand in the window any longer. We must be active participants in our faith and in the life of faith. Not to earn our salvation, but because we are saved. We saw that last week. When we spend most of our time on that one little word, if, it's not there as a condition of our being saved. And the Apostle Paul, as we said last week, doesn't use the if to insinuate or to threaten some looming danger or to instill in us some measure of uncertainty as to whether God will finally receive us into his presence or not, or whether once he saved us by the power of his spirit, that he might then abandon us or remove his spirit from us and leave us on our own, not at all. Listen, we can, we must rely on the all-sufficient finished work of Christ on our behalf. Did you hear that? Jesus says this in John 6, verse 39, This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. He will keep us to the end. There is no if about it. The if here sets us up for this active participatory life that the the apostle Paul describes here in verse 23. In other words, you could say, you you know you are saved if indeed you. You continue. Now, every single word here is important, even or especially this word indeed. And though I run the risk of boring you, I feel compelled to tell you a little about this word indeed. May I do so? (laughs) So glad you asked. I'm going to read just straight from, from one of the best Greek lexicons about this word indeed, The word translated here, indeed, is used to focus the attention upon a single idea, to place it, as it were, in the limelight. In oral utterance, it would have been accompanied by a change in pitch of voice. Indeed, that's not in the lexicon. And the translator may indicate the point through choice of typeface or punctuation. And so this word, indeed, would have indeed gotten the attention of the church members and Colossae when they heard this letter being read. If they had started to doze off because it was a little bit on the warm side during the service, well, this word would have woken them up. Indeed. I can't see the corner. Everybody awake? All right. So what's so important? What is the single idea here that deserves the limelight? What is the truth that should wake us up if we're just a little drowsy? That we, as believers in Christ, continue in the faith. If indeed you continue in the faith, persist, persevere, remain in it. Jesus has already said this to his disciples. In the upper room, the last night of his life, he says, remain in me, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Our faith is not a spectator faith. We don't watch out the window as others live it out. Jesus in the upper room and the Apostle Paul here in the verse before us this morning puts us to work. F.F. Bruce writes, if the Bible teaches the final perseverance of the saints, which it does, that's what we considered last week, it also teaches that the saints are those who finally persevere in Christ. Continuance is the test of reality. Continuing, persevering persisting is evidence that genuine faith is present in our hearts. My most favorite Puritan of all, you know him, I call him my best friend all the time, Samuel Rutherford, he writes this, It's a steep ascent to eternal glory. Many are lying dead by the way, slain with security. That's a graphic picture, but it's true, isn't it? Even for Samuel Rutherford in his day, there were those who must have bought into easy believism, say a few words and then declare, I'm saved. But people who merely stand at the window and watch. Those who don't persist, persevere, remain Or more likely, living so close to the time of the Reformation, there must have been those around him who believed that they had a little bit of water put on their head when they were children and they had joined an institutional church. And so therefore, they were all right. They could just stand by the window and watch and left steadfastness and faithfulness to others. John Piper writes similarly, The Puritans believed... That without perseverance in the obedience of faith, the result would be eternal destruction, not lesser sanctification. Wow. I find those words to be penetratingly true. Those who watch the faithfulness of others from the window, But who don't seek it for themselves somehow feel that the only consequence for that choice is that they will be just a little less holy than that other person. The Puritans and Scripture is far more grave. The absence of steadfast, stable, unshifting, continuing in the faith doesn't result merely in the being less holy, it results instead in eternal destruction. Paul uses the word "indeed" here, so that we don't un- misunderstand, or so that we don't abuse the the rich and deep theological truth at which we've looked in verse twenty-two about being holy and blameless and above reproach. He gets the. Church's attention, indeed, so that no one will conclude, well, this is already who I am. This is already true about me, and so I have nothing to do. No, Paul uses the word indeed to highlight that true faith does not look like standing at the window and looking out at the faithfulness of others. And then we keep reading in verse 23. And we see that in which we must indeed continue, Paul writes, if indeed you continue in the faith. The faith. The faith. Then look at the, toward the end of verse 23, on the other side of the word stable, steadfast and not shifting, and you see the gospel. So we have the faith and the gospel, more specifically, the hope. Of the gospel. And so their book ends around these words, stable and steadfast and not shifting. There is one faith, the faith. There is one gospel, the gospel. There is one hope, the hope we have in Christ, and that's it. And can I tell you this? Saying that out loud to you all is my most favoriteest, bestest part. Of this calling that God has given to me. One faith. One hope. And it's all in Christ. Do you believe that? The world tells us otherwise doesn't it? Either it says there is no hope. Or it offers many options for hope. The favorite being hope in self. Please. If my only hope is in myself. I'm going to throw myself out the window. That's a true story. What kind of hope is that? Oh, hope, believe in yourself. No. God graciously tells us otherwise. One faith, one hope, one gospel that belongs to him, and he offers it to us. So by using the word thee, the apostle Paul is indicating something very specific, and he's indicating, wait for it, doctrine. Doctrine seems to be a dirty word, doesn't it? Something assumed to be bad. Well, I just well, I just love Jesus. All that doctrine stuff just messes everything up. How many times have you heard that? I've heard that so many times in my life. Come on. Doctrine is the faith. It's the truth received about Jesus. It's the truth handed down about Jesus and salvation through him. It's not an add-on. Rather, it's essential. It's central to every hope and every help we have in this world. Jude 3 says, Beloved, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Ephesians 2, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The prophets, the apostles, Christ the living word, the faith, the teaching about Christ. That's doctrine. We must continue in it taking his pen in hand in the 1600s. Puritan John Owens writes this. This is a good one. Without absolutes revealed from without by God himself, we are left rudderless in a sea of conflicting ideas about justice and right and wrong, issuing from a multitude of self-opinionated thinkers. Did I say 1600s? I think I meant 2022. Has our culture ever been more rudderless than it is right now? Have there ever been more conflicting, clashing ideas of self-opinionated thinkers? The cancellation of every opinion not your own. Cancel, everybody cancel each other. I cancel you. You cancel me. I read this week about a, a well-known public figure who was given an honorary doctorate by a highly prestigious university several years ago. Subsequent to the conferring of the degree This public figure made comments that do not now align with the school's present view on gender, marriage, and sexuality. So, as a result, some alumni at this prestigious university are demanding that this man be stripped of his degree. Now, bear in mind, the man committed no crime, no murder no theft. He abused no one, no egregious, no outrageous, no notorious sin of any kind. He just spoke words with which they don't agree, words that don't match their opinion. Now, think about the implications of this. If you do not believe exactly the aberrant, unbiblical view presently held by this university, you can't represent the school. What about a graduate with an earned degree? What if they dissent? Will the alumni police (laughs) come and take the diploma off their walls saying you cannot represent this school? Think as well of the irony Of the situation, the currently held beliefs are completely at odds with the beliefs of those who sacrificed to establish the institution in the first place. Should they rise up from the grave and snatch the diplomas of those who are demanding to snatch the diplomas from someone else? I took too long on on that illustration. It felt good though. But I did it to highlight uh, the utter and the complete chaos of our culture and the untenability, not only of what they espouse, but what they demand of all of us. And this comes from the intelligentsia, those who are supposed to know more and know better than you and I. Owen had it right, rudderless. A sea of conflicting ideas about justice and right and wrong. Issuing from a multitude of self-opinionated thinkers. Therefore, the Apostle Paul has a right. We must continue in the faith. Be steadfast in the truth. We must not shift from it. You know the timing of the Lord. Never ceases to amaze me. Look outside. We are meeting in this place today because there was some question as to whether or not our house of worship would withstand the storm. The winds are strong, blowing, shifting, destabilizing. Jesus said, a wise man built his house on the rock and The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man. Can you all be children for a minute? Can you? Put your pride aside. You ready? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came. Come on, you proud people sing. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood. (laughs) Come on. That's Jesus' words. Not my words. Unshifting. Faithful. Steady. I'm just saying. Our enemy the enemy of our souls seeks to do the same thing to our souls that we see happening out the window blow us around destabilize destabilize us cause us to shift to give up instead of remaining steadfast and he uses our culture to do it don't move don't shift stand firm and steadfast Abide in the faith, hope in the gospel. Doctrine is true because it points us to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the word, the living word. He is the truth. We must not be spectators. We must not stand at the window and look out at the steadfastness and the faithfulness of others. We must commit to the faith and all the life-changing and family-changing and city-changing service that results from that commitment. And so I'm going to make this plea to you, and I'm only going to make this plea to you because I know my own heart so well. And here's the plea. Stop looking for excuses and start looking for opportunities. Stop looking for excuses and start looking for opportunities. We, We can look for reasons why Jesus would understand if we just watched. Reasons why we really ought to give ourselves a little bit of margin. Reasons why we shouldn't drive ourselves so much. Reasons for why we should not feel guilty and why our gracious Lord understands our situation. Or we can get active. We can look for opportunities to commit to being steadfast to the faith. His word is truth. Of course the Lord is gracious. Of course he understands your life and my life. He lived the life that we lived. He knows what we're up against. The question for us is where is our heart? Where's your heart? Where's my heart? When your heart is for Christ, listen, when your heart is for Christ, you don't look for excuses. You look for opportunities to encounter his heart and his love and his mercy, and his grace, and his truth, and his wisdom, and his help, all in his word. The faith, the gospel handed down to us. So let's continue in it. Steadfast, together, not shifting, stable. You know what? You never know who's looking out the window, do you? As they watch our faithfulness, as they watch us actively continue in the faith, steadfast, unshaken, you never know what impact it will have on them and how the Lord will use it. But here's what I want to do. I want to find out together with people like y'all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the word is yours. It goes out to us. Continue. Steadfast. Stable. Without shifting. Help us, by the power of your spirit, be those very things. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.